0: To me, a big part of the value is just people knowing, hey, there's one guy in elected office, at least, who if I have a thing I'm thinking about, I can just remember, hey, I should tune in at 7.45 p.m. for Transparency Tuesdays, and I can talk to the Iowa State Auditor and ask him a question about that. And I think that level of accessibility
1: is honestly really important. Have you ever noticed that some of the best ideas come from unexpected places? Your next breakthrough may come from a leader facing similar challenges, but in a completely different sector. Welcome to Chief Influencer. I'm your host, Anthony Schopp. Join us as we explore how today's successful leaders inspire, influence, and connect with others. Chief Influencer is a production of Social Driver and the Communications Board who have teamed up to spotlight how great leaders and communicators are making their impact in the world. This episode is brought to you by the George Washington University's College of Professional Studies. With in-person and online programs, ranging from master's degrees in public relations strategy to certificate programs in digital communications, GW offers more than just the credentials to help working professionals get ahead. It prepares them to be leaders in their field. As a proud GW graduate myself, I can attest that faculty members combine academic rigor with real-world lessons that can't always be found in textbooks. Check out cps.gwu.edu for more information. Today, we are joined by Rob Sand, the 33rd State Auditor of Iowa. He was elected in 2018 after serving seven years as Iowa's Chief Public Corruption Prosecutor in the Iowa Attorney General's Office. There he led the discovery and prosecution of the largest lottery rigging scheme in American history. It's a captivating story told in his book, The Winning Ticket, which I highly recommend. Rob is committed to transparency and accountability in government. Upon his election, he created a senior leadership team that included a Democrat, Independent, and Republican, with two of the three individuals having made campaign contributions to his opponent's campaign. His campaign slogan on yard signs and bumper stickers, Rob Sand Finds Bucks, is a nod to Rob being both a bow hunter and a corruption fighter who works tirelessly to save taxpayer dollars. Rob regularly hosts Transparency Tuesday via Facebook Live, to keep his constituents informed about his work and discuss issues related to government accountability. He uses uh, Transparency Tuesday to demystify government and to make it feel accessible to anyone interested. Rob was born and raised in Decorah, Iowa. He found a passion for public service in high school when he worked for two years to build a public skate park. He graduated from Brown University where he was named a Harry S. Truman Scholar, returning to his home state to attend the University of Iowa Law School. Rob and his wife, Christine, live in Des Moines and have two sons. Rob, I've known you for a while, and I am so excited to have you with us today. Welcome.
0: Uh, thanks, Anthony. I'm,
1: I'm honored to be here with you today. This is fun. It is fun. And, you know, we're really excited to kind of hear your point of view as a public official, because I think it's a world that a lot of people in different sectors are not familiar with. Um, our whole idea behind this is that some of the most effective leaders are more than Chief Executives or principals of their offices, they are chief influencers. and so I want to start by asking you what is the impact that you want to see in the world, and who is it that you have to influence to achieve that impact
0: that's a that's a question that can be both deep and broad. Um, you know one of the things that I've uh, been thinking more than ever lately, I've always thought it, but um, it seems particularly um relevant in a time of great change is the idea that we should work with anyone to do good and work with no one to do bad uh we're in a a place politically where it seems like there's a lot of upheaval where uh partisan partisanship is deepening and yet at the same time coalitions are changing a little bit partially because of the deepening partisanship and so you're finding people who you know said oh well it used to be this and now i'm not so sure anymore uh, and, and so to me, the idea that you would work with anyone to do good and work with no one to do bad is, is, is really important because we have to keep in mind that uh, everybody out there is sort of going through this same tumultuous moment. Lots of people are looking for um, a place where they belong or a sense of home in terms of people who share their values, but also most people are, are paying a little bit more attention than they have for a long time to determine whether or not uh the their affiliations in the past still help them do that today. So if I was going to answer the question of, you know, what what's what do I want to do in the world, it's, it's as much good as possible with anyone who will join with me to do it. I try to stop as much bad as possible, no matter who that's coming from. Um and I, I think the ability, you know, look, I'm in elected office. I was elected the first time in 2018, just got reelected in 2022. Uh the only Democrat in statewide or federal office currently in Iowa. But who I need to influence to do that? In a, in the shortest answer is anyone I can. You know, this isn't an isolated job. Uh, it's not a, a, a company that simply can do its work and go forward in the world and trust that its impact is going to be had in its sphere. You know, we have to, in, in politics, you have to win an election to, to have impact, to help set policy, to help set direction. And winning an election requires uh, persuading your ordinary everyday citizen. um many of whom again I, th- I think right now are paying more attention than they have for a long time and the more people you can persuade who are also also in elected office the better. so there's no there's really no lift uh no end to the list of of people that we need to add to the coalition to to promote change but by being willing to be out there and be communicating with people in a way that's a lot more open and a lot more human than i think most people expect from a public official. That really, I think, magnifies the ability to have that impact.
1: And that openness and that humanity um, definitely comes through with your style. I mean, you you said it, but I want to make sure everybody knows you're the only statewide or federal uh, office holder from the whole state of Iowa who's a Democrat right now, right. right. So obviously, um, you've you're doing something, right? You know, you're you're uh, going against the tide there in a way and you're also the only uh, democrat elected to state auditor in the last 50 years. So, kind of wondering like what's your secret to even let iowans know what the state auditor does because most people probably don't have a clear picture of that. Yeah. How do you bring that human touch to your interactions with millions of citizens across the state um so that they support you and that you're elected and you're reelected.
0: Yeah. I I think it's important for all of us to remember sometimes people say this in a way that sounds Condescending, But it's an important point to make, I think, particularly to people who, who uh, are well-educated about it. You know, we live in a democratic republic, and we send people, the idea behind a democratic republic is that we send people to go figure this stuff out, right? Your average citizen in a democratic republic, they don't have to know, they don't have to personally have a five-point plan to solve X problem or have an, a strong opinion about uh, what we should be doing to solve Y problem. The whole idea here is you find someone who you think is going to make good decisions and then you pay them a salary and send them to go figure it out. Right? So to me, um, a big part of that is just being willing to explain to people, mm. not in a way that presupposes that they should know the answer. Right? Cause I, no matter who it is, that's coming to my house, right? If it's the guy who sweeps the chimney or the guy who handles the AC um, or, uh, you know, a guy who put a radon system in, like, I don't know how to do what they do. They're good at what they do. I'm glad they're here doing what they do. I love to get explanations from them as to how it works. And I think most people like having, like being let into the process of governance in the same way. And so, to, to me, I think a big piece of the job is going around and, like you said, answering the question, what's the state to do? Well, it's a very ordinary question. Anthony, I actually get asked that question more than anything else. People who just say, okay, what are you you doing? Because they understand, right? They understand. I, I, I vote every, you know, me as a citizen. I vote in the elections. I try to pay attention to what's going on. So I'm informed to make a good decision when I vote. But the people that I'm sending are the ones that know much more about how this all works. And that's just like every other part of the economy. And so I I like to answer those questions and kind of let people into the process of governance with a lot more transparency than I think they're accustomed to. And people appreciate it because, frankly, this is their business, right? It's their business that we are working on and we're doing. So when I travel around the state, my answers to people are typically, look, the easiest way to understand this is in Iowa, we're the taxpayer's watchdog. Um, We sniff around and we bark, right? So we conduct financial audits, we do public corruption investigations, and we also do efficiency promotion. Uh, three things that are very important to making sure that once you've paid your taxes, they are getting used in a way that's conducive and helpful for you. And I answer those questions in person. I go to uh, all 100 uh, county seats in the state of Iowa every year. While there's 99 counties, which most people are familiar with, Lee County actually has two county seats. Hmm. And so I go to both of them. Um, I, I we, our Our efficiency program, which is called PI, we tour the state and give PI awards for that. And I'm very active on social media, um, my accounts, which you can find pretty much on any social media network at RobSandIA. Uh, I run them. I'm the one tweeting. I'm the one replying. And uh, I try to be just more active and more transparent in terms of what's going on in governance and also just who I am in general.
1: I'd love to dive in more on that in terms of social media. sure. Because one, uh, we know so many leaders just try to delegate their social media to somebody on their team. And, you know, it doesn't come through in the same level of authenticity you've gone even beyond. I think just the fact that you're, you're managing those accounts. Um, you have this transparency Tuesday um, thing that you do on Facebook live and you use that to connect with your constituents each week. And sometimes they're shorter, sometimes they're longer. You answer people's questions. You tell no. them what's on, I, you know, I, you tens of thousands of viewers, sometimes even much more than that, depending on the week. Can you talk about how that came about? Um, Obviously, you see some value in it because you keep doing it. You're a really busy guy doing it, so it must be valuable because I think leaders who are in all different industries are going to find this really interesting. They might find it exciting and yet kind of scary and daunting to even think about doing that. And so tell us more. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: mean... I think a lot of people are nervous by the idea of live anything. A lot of people in elected office. Uh, to me, if I'm live on something, it's like, well, I, I am live. <laughs> like we're all live. Like I'm a human being. I, I I'm comfortable in my own skin. It's okay if I make a mistake. We all make mistakes. So transferring to Tuesdays. If if anybody's on Facebook, you can tune in. Again, I'm at Rob Sandia every Tuesday at 7:45 p.m. or very close to then. If I am getting the kids home from basketball game, you know, it's it's usually right about 7 45 PM on the nose. Uh, I just, I start a live broadcast. I tell people what I did that week. Usually I highlight the things that are a little bit unusual and I don't, I don't get into granular level details on each thing that I did. It's just a kind of a list of highlights. It could be three things that stuck out, or it could be 10 things that stuck out. If it was an interesting, really interesting week. And maybe one of them is, uh, a, a moment to sort of shed a little light on what's happening in government for people and give them a little bit more detail. But then at the end, I also always, and I, and I try to see, I, I have, I'll have the comments on the screen as I'm talking. Sometimes I'll catch them while I'm talking, but I, I try to catch questions and comments at the end by by scrolling through as much as I can. And so some sometimes Transparency Tuesday is three minutes long. I just tell people what I did and In the three minutes that I'm on there, nobody has added any questions and I sign off. Sometimes it's 20 minutes. It could be that something controversial or or, uh, there's a lot of big news going on, whether it's controversial or not. It could be that our office released a special report that people have a lot of questions about, for example, uh, Medicaid. Um, or, Or it just could be that we're getting into a topic that people are feeling chatty about. And I just try to answer their questions as best I can. It's not really that different from having a town hall. Um, in person, you know, which is again what I do with all 100 counties, county seats. But it's just an opportunity for people to tune in and ask a question of a statewide elected official. And in Anthony, I I really like the idea, by the way, because people people elected officials are so distant; they are so cloistered, and some of that is by design. I think I think people with a lot of staff and consultants around them try to keep their elected away from people because they don't want a mistake. Um, I think some of it is inevitable. If you're representing a state in Washington, D.C., you are gone a lot because the way the system currently works requires you to be in Washington, right? But I don't think that that distance is a good thing. I think it's important for people to have a sense of the ability to reach their government, to reach levers of whatever degree of power. And to actually have an interaction there, to have a, a check-in point. And so when you ask about, you know, like what the impact is or what the value of it is, to me, a big part of the value is just people knowing, hey, there's one guy in elected office at least who anytime I want, I can, you know, if I have a thing I'm thinking about, I can just remember, hey, I should tune in at 745 PM for Transparency Tuesdays, and I can talk to the Iowa State Auditor and ask him a question about that. And I think that level of accessibility is honestly really important. This is, you know, the the 3 million people in the state of Iowa here, uh, 3.1 million. Those are my bosses. Those are people who pay taxes. They run the state and our work in overseeing how those tax dollars are spent impacts their lives. So for me to be able to check in with them and for them to have a sense of the ability to check in, even if they don't use it a lot, I think that sense of the ability to do it is still important too.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's easy to say as a leader, "Oh, I have an open door policy," or "Oh, send this to my team." But the fact that you open that direct line and accessible yes. for folks, and I also wonder is—is is it important that it's consistent? Because you may, you stressed, you know, seven forty five Tuesday. Yeah. That consistency an important element of the communication as well. Yep. And actually, we had a,
0: I had a string of uh, it was it was like this November December. I don't remember what the time frame was, but remember it was cold. It might've been in January. Uh, I think I was sick. I think I was on a plane maybe for one of them, but it was a bunch of Tuesdays where at seven forty-five, I wasn't available. And I noticed that like numbers dipped after that. Mm-hmm. I, so I do think that that consistency is important because, you know, if it's not consistent, well, how do they know to tune in when you're available? You know? Right. And I answer people, if people send me messages on Facebook or or tweet at me or send me DMs. I try to I try to be helpful in answering those questions there too. It's not like you have to be there when I'm on, but I do think the sense of consistency is important for people because then they know like, oh no, this is a real thing. He does it every
1: week. Yeah. So I'm curious kind of on, the, on two sides of the equation here on one. I'm wondering, um, do you think that doing this inspires or encourages other could be public officials, could be local leaders. I mean, thousands of people are seeing. hey, Rob, Sand is doing this. Are others doing this maybe? And then on the other side of it, I'm wondering, um, have you gotten any pushback from staff or do you think others, who, have you, has anybody said to you, you know, hey, Rob, I like the idea of doing this, but oh, my team wouldn't let me do this. So I'm just kind of curious on both sides, has oh, yeah. this inspired others, but this does this also stoke some fear and others trying to pull back and you know protect they want to make sure their boss doesn't do this because they're like you said sometimes those consultants get worried about mistakes. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, and sometimes it's elected officials. I have heard other elected officials say, well you you just you know you really need to be distant and above the people and uh you know so being being really present and available on social media just lets people see too much of you. And I just I couldn't I, I couldn't disagree more I just, I just, I don't subscribe to the idea that, you know, elected officials should be distant or above people. They should be a part of them and they should help people understand that they too have a role that people like them can do things like this. Right. And being available helps, helps people understand that. And yeah, I've, I've gotten, uh, I've gotten a number of people who have reached out to me to say, you know, Hey, like, I just wanted to tell you. The, the level of transparency you bring to your job has made me to stop to I'm gonna I'm gonna run for school board, and I'm gonna after each meeting you know like do a do a Facebook live and and tell people what it was we discussed and and how I felt about it. I can think of I can think of at least one other elected official in the state of Iowa who does regular uh, Facebook lives, and I you know look the the more people do this, the better because it's also the kind of stuff where you you, you know you read in the news what's happening sort of after it happened. But to have an opportunity to hear from lots of different sources who are involved about what's going on just is a way for people to get better informed.
1: Well, it sounds like to me, I mean, in terms of the history of your career and sort of, you know, your values, you believe in the power of government to make people's lives better. And if folks don't understand government and they don't trust government, you know, it really diminishes that opportunity. And so creating a... a, Mechanism that folks can have access to, you can build that trust, and then government can even work better for the people, right? Yes,
0: yes, <laughs>
1: yes. Government
0: power can be used for good or for bad, right? And I, I, I always, I get so frustrated with all the conversations that are focused on, well, it needs to move to the left or to the right, or it needs to be bigger or it needs to be smaller. Can we just make it better? Like, there's so much space for a conversation around making government work better. And we haven't had that conversation really for decades um, And because I've had people approach me too, Anthony, to say, well, it's really weird that you're a Democrat that talks about taxpayers' dollars and focus on efficiency in government. And I'm like, that's strange to me. Democrats should be talking more about this because if you, if you believe that government has a role in society – then you should want it to do a good job at what it needs to be doing, so that people will have a sense of trust in a sense that it can't do everything, but it can do a decent job at the things that we need it to do. Right? Um, you know, I, I remember a quote uh, from from Cory Booker. He said, "You know, rugged individualism is an important part of not just the American story, but a lot of what we've done in this country. But it didn't get us to the moon. Hmm. You know, like we have to have efforts." Where we work together, and this is the method for doing that. I like to talk about it in terms of living out our mission of self-governance. So you go back to the Constitution and a bunch of crazy guys, you know, in the 1700s who said, "I don't think we need a king or a queen. I actually think we can figure this out on our own." And a lot of people looked at them and said, "Are you crazy? No way! Like we need to have someone who has, you know, the divine, the divine right to tell us what it is that we should do." And the idea that we could write down in a document what the rules were going to be, that we could separate powers so that they check each other, and that freedom and prosperity and liberty would flourish under a system like that was revolutionary. But the work of living that out happens today, and it and it requires that people in government actually help people trust that that system can still work. We have to have people who believe, who say, yes, actually, I think if we have A legislative branch here and an executive branch here and a judicial branch here that they can each do their jobs in a way that furthers our society and that is the work of in a a way of state auditors but it also should be the work of anybody who thinks that we need to have that constitution there is a role for government in society
1: you know it sounds like you're saying the founders would love knowing that a statewide elected official is connecting directly with constituents using technology they could have never envisioned because that was the whole point of the constitution and our form of government.
0: Yeah. I think some of them would like it more kind of a Jeffersonian ideal, you know, of the people, um, others, others were a little bit, you know, they, they may be preferred the sort of like, no, you should be above them attitude, but that's just my, my perspective is you no, know, don't be above, you know, like, I, I have this office. It's pretty fancy, but I would still like to go talk to people in every county every year and make sure they can meet me once a week on Facebook Live and ask me whatever they want. And that accessibility, no matter what your office, people don't care what your office looks like if you're willing to engage with them on a on a real honest basis.
1: Well, and look, it's always a good reminder that if we had the same proportion of um, you know, Americans to members of Congress as the country used to. We'd have a hundred thousand members of Congress right now, right? So, what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so built into our um framework was having that accessibility. And of course, you know, the population's a lot bigger now. And so you can't have it in that ratio, but wow. technology to get that. Wow. I, I actually didn't I didn't know that. That is that is a mind-blowing figure. I
0: think I need to go put that on social media actually. Yeah, like okay, exactly hundred thousand? I'll go look it up. I'll look it check
1: up. it first because I'm sure right. I'm a little off on it. But but yes, this is this is what I just
0: uh, heard. I think that's really interesting, though. You know, and there's, different states do it different way. There are hundreds of uh, you know, he, New Hampshire is a very small state, but there are hundreds and hundreds of people in uh, their legislative body there. Yeah, uh, very very low representational basis, and I think that's good too. It's I mean, one of the reasons that I, I you know I'm a little unusual as a Democrat, and I think that problem solving and power and government should be pushed as low as it can go so that it's more accessible to people. Because if a if a, if a US senator does something that hurts you, good luck finding them to tell them. Right. But if your city council, if your county supervisor, if your state representative does, much easier to find that person. Yeah. Right. State representative, a little complicated. But again, the lower you go, I think the closer people are to the people whose lives they are impacting with their decisions, the better decisions they're going to make. Again, I'm not saying more left or more right or more impactive or more restrictive, just better decisions.
1: Yeah. You know, as I think about sort of the, ta- I think of this as a breakthrough tactic, right? How you use Facebook Live to go directly to your constituents. And I know leaders who are in different industries are going to hear this and, and be inspired by it um, because, you know, some of the best new ideas come from unexpected places, from people who are in different industries. And one of the things I'm wondering is, Where have you found inspiration or ideas that you've brought to public service that are not because you saw another public servant doing them, but maybe you picked up on something that um, somebody in another profession has done?
0: Yeah. Uh, You know, the first thing that comes to mind is, and it it doesn't exactly answer your question because it is still sort of internal to our work, but... We have a, we, part of our PI program, that's our efficiency program, public innovations and efficiencies. We collect good ideas for how to save money from locally elected officials. And to your point, like this is, the reason this comes to mind immediately is it goes exactly to your point that I, good ideas can come from anywhere. We have found city councils and board, uh, county, county supervisors who have had brilliant ideas that have saved their counties or their cities big money. And what we do is we put, we take those, Uh, ideas when we hear about them, we put them into the program so that the whole rest of the state can hear about that within the next year, the next time they fill out the pie program questionnaire. And so this is, so we we call these pie recipes, right? It's like a recipe for innovation and efficiency. And uh, it's a really fun part of the program because it echoes just exactly the point you made that like anybody can have a good idea, right? That eureka moment can strike any of us while we're walking the dog or, you know, standing in the shower or whatever. And, and it's just about a little bit about having that moment and then actually executing on it. Um, and that, to me, I think is a, a, a strong indicator too of or, a, a very consistent with my approach, which is I don't care whose idea it is. I care that it's a good idea. You know, if there's a very conservative county that found a really good way to save money, like I don't care that I'm elevating someone who is a Republican. They have an idea. Their idea is good we all should celebrate
1: their good idea. When it comes down to even your personal approach, I mean, I love that where all the ideas can come from anywhere. I guess I'm just wondering, um, when I think about your style and you're being willing to kind of embrace that overlap between your personal brand and your professional brand and you're, you know, posting on Facebook about, you know, picking up Legos and then you're talking about what's going on and as you visit different counties, I'm guessing that you didn't model yourself after most members of the United States Senate, right? <laughs> That's not their right. communication style. And yeah. so as you um, were advancing in your career and seeing other other leaders, I mean, what resonated with you and what, it, it's not just a generational thing because there are other people who are public servants who are your age who are not yeah. doing what you're doing. So I'm just wondering kind of, what did you see that inspired you and even encourage you to think that that was okay to do because it seems like it's kind of out of the norm, right, Rob? Sure. No,
0: you're right. So I do think that Iowa is a unique place where, where in politics, um, the, the retail sort of accessibility is is valued higher than elsewhere. But one of the innovators on that was Chuck Grassley, U.S. Senator from Iowa. He's a Republican. He just got reelected, but he go, he went to he still goes to all 99 counties every single year. And he holds a town hall. You know, there's a lot of elected officials who go to online counties every year, but they don't really tell them they're coming and they don't necessarily do a town hall. They visit a private business and then they're in and out. And, you know, to, it, it's fair to give Grassley credit. It's also fair to say that he doesn't always have the best uh, advance notice system for people who want to get in there. But But the fact remains that his transparency that his accessibility, at least in being there in person in an age before the internet existed, is a part of what made me think like, that's a part of the job. You should, you should go out there and in a sense, be held accountable to your constituents, but in another sense, like, let them in, tell them about that decision, help them understand it. Um, so certainly, certainly him, um, Harry, Harry Truman or Truman scholar, right? So, uh, he was all, always known as someone who was very accessible to people, very comfortable in his own skin among among regular citizens, and uh, and that that's important to me too. He's the last call, the last American president that we had without a college degree. You know, the idea that anybody can do that job, um, I think, is important. And so I think the idea of being willing to be willing to engage with regular people as opposed to thinking that you're above them is important. And, and trim is a piece of that for me, too. Yeah,
1: I love that. And I guess with Grassley, you're right. I remember he, uh, he had some funny tweets uh, back in the day. Maybe he still does about, you know, shooting, you know, shooting a deer you know, right, right. or something like that. And I don't remember yeah. what that was, but some viral moments. So so that's a good point. Yeah. He's got a Twitter account that is
0: very clearly almost always him. Yeah. Yeah.
1: When you think of different social media, you know, obviously Facebook is something that you use and you're on multiple accounts. I mean, a lot of conversation about TikTok right now, just kind of curious how you approach different types of social media, especially because some are so much more visual, right. And, you know, musical and they're not, they don't lend themselves necessarily to providing the same type of updates. So um, what kind of goes through your mind as you assess new and emerging platforms.
0: There's So the price of being the person who handles it and having the posts actually come from me is time. And the way that I have to modify that price to reduce that impact on my own life is that I've started using an intermediary app. I use Buffer, it's really cheap, but I go into Buffer. Buffer is linked to my Instagram, my Facebook, my Twitter, my LinkedIn, and I think that's it. And I I technically have a TikTok account, but I haven't posted on it in months because I have it on a burner phone and I hate carrying more stuff than I have to. And so I never bring it with me. I should be posting on it. That said, um, a lot of it to me is at this point, I just, I need to put stuff out there in a way that's efficient and effective. And so even if I'm not optimizing for each unique um, social network, at least I'm putting the content out there. Yeah. And so my posts on Facebook, you know, it helps if you do the colorful background and the bigger text for a post that's 15 words. Well, sometimes my posts are just going to be 15 words. and I realize it doesn't necessarily perform as well. And I, I, should I improve on that? Sure. But what I'm trying to do is have a little bit more regularity and a little bit more of a consistent presence as opposed to uh, a rarer, more optimized presence. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. I don't know if anybody's watching this and, you know, wants to help me for free, <laughs> they could, they're welcome to do that. Yeah, we're uh, but that's always the question for me is just kind of like putting the content out there in a way that protects my time, um, helps me do all the other parts of my job and be a dad. And at the same time, honestly, like I love being able to post without getting into scrolling. You know, it's it's anti-social media to a large degree. There's a it's a cesspool, and I think the algorithm algorithms that they run have done a, a poor job um, of having an impact on society because they do favor uh, things that elicit negative emotions. And so there's all this negative negativity that's swirling around us, and all these incentives to mock people and attack them, and uh, it's it's really it's really uh, dangerous. Uh, it's actually one of the reasons it's interesting. Every, every network has their pros and cons. One of the things I like about Twitter is the informality. I'm, I'm not, as you probably pick up, I'm not a very formal person. Um, but what it, one of the things I like about LinkedIn, although it feels a lot of times more like professional and networky, which is not my favorite, is every account has a name on it. Every account is the person that it says it is. You know, So I like that because it makes the interactions, generally speaking, more more
1: positive. And those longer posts actually uh, perform really well on LinkedIn versus like your point on other platforms with the scrolling. I've heard
0: so, I I that. I got I to try those longer posts on LinkedIn. Yeah. I haven't gotten into them.
1: Okay. We have to, I just, I have to go back to something that you said All right. on a burner phone. <laughs> so you think TikTok's important enough to use that you've explored this, but you have it on a burner. I'm, I'm sorry. We just have to unpack that, please.
0: Sure. Sure. Look, um, I want to be able to reach people and that's a way to reach people. I'm also you know understanding that it's not necessarily safe and I don't want my personal uh, information compromised so an old iPhone it's like is it an 8? I'm not sure. But I'll 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 shoot video on a newer iPhone, transfer it via like AirDrop or something to TikTok. And then post it using the phone that I use only for TikTok. It's pretty straightforward, um, you know. And, and I, I do think that look, every social network, not just TikTok, is a risk for your personal information. Um, I, I understand and appreciate the the sort of national security the national security concerns about TikTok specifically. And That's why I have it on a burner phone. But people are going to make those decisions on their own. Their their degree of concern about privacy as their own determination. And to me, it's just like, look, well, if, you know, if I want to be careful about this, this phone was going to get tossed anyways. I didn't spend any money for it. It was just the old one. And so I'll just use it on there. And that's simple enough. Now, as yeah. it turns out, I don't really use TikTok because it's on my burner phone. But you know, at some point, maybe I'll do that. Or, or maybe I can get it integrated into Buffer. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, there's more friction there. But anyway, I think it's fascinating that you, you're... you're Thinking about, you know, you don't want to just say, it'd be easy to say, uh, just too much trouble, not going to do it, but you've actually been experimenting with it because you know, right? Young people, that's a place to reach them. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I want to shift gears for a second. We have to talk about your book. I have it right here. The winning ticket. It's a page turner. I mean, I have to say, I was so, (laughs) I just thought this was such a great story, um, I'll let you tell folks maybe the the highlight about this lottery rigging scheme you prosecuted. But the piece that I think is really relevant for the folks who are listening in today is, um, you crafted a very um, deliberate message as you were working to convince the jury about the guilt of the defendant you called it a 21st century inside job and it just occurred to me you know how important it is for leaders and for chief influencers to craft messages that are going to land with their their people their audiences and why that's important and that's something that you've done really well rather it's from you know rob sand finds bucks and getting that message off to the 21st century inside job so can you just give us the sort of thumbnail about this Amazing case, and um, specifically that language. I really wanted, yeah, to, on that.
0: So, so that language, that phrase, was specifically chosen to sort of address one of the weaknesses in my case at trial at that time. So, big picture, this is the largest lottery rigging scheme in American history. It involved. It's an inside job that involved uh, a couple of brothers from Texas, one of whom's a crooked lawman um, and and Bigfoot hunters there's a fireworks salesman in it, uh, a, uh, an FBI agent who gets fooled, all these kinds of interesting cast of characters as well as courtroom drama and just kind of like true crime investigative drama. Uh, and, and I, I appreciate the page turner comment, the Washington independent review of books actually named it a favorite book of 2022, which sort of blew my mind. I was proud of having written it and got it out there and, and yet to have an, an entity like that acknowledge it to me was, was wonderful. Um, but to zoom in, small small picture to that trial and to that phase, at that point, when I was going to trial uh, with the mastermind of the case, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie Tipton, um, we only knew of one lottery jackpot that we believed to have been rigged and didn't know about the others. We had really been pushed for time to because he demanded his right for speedy trial, which in, 90, in Iowa can be 90 days from indictment. So he had really pushed us for time and we had time basically to focus on investigating the Iowa ticket, the Iowa purchase ticket in front of us and not a national investigation. And we didn't know, we did not, let me put it this way. We didn't have precise exact electronic evidence as to how it was that he got the random number generator computer for which he wrote the code to generate random numbers, to spit out numbers that were going to be predictable. Um, and so at that time, what we were able to put together is a very thorough case based on some direct evidence, but a lot of circumstantial evidence, right? And circumstantial evidence is kind of like what you, you would say uh, in the way the other way I describe it to a jury is coincidences are things that happen that are connected, but they're for random reasons. Circumstantial evidence, those things are actually all clues. And so to set in, instead of saying, wow, what a bizarre coincidence that you and I happened to walk into this restaurant at noon today at the same time, or it could be a clue that actually we're planning to get lunch together, right? And so, if you have enough of these things, at a certain point, people's thinking transforms from these are coincidences into, no, these are clues and they all have one explanation. But the 21st century piece of it was an acknowledgement that like, we don't know how a lot of the stuff around us works, right? Technology we have very basic understandings of it. And so these are, I'm going to say some of the stuff to you now that I pointed out to the jury in, in my rebuttal closing argument, the last thing I said to him. Because I knew that the closing argument from the defense counsel was going to be all about how we didn't have the evidence. We couldn't say exactly precisely what it was that Eddie Tipton did to rig this. And that we only had these theories. Well, my point was, look, um, I we know that we can pull a small electronic device out of our pocket, type a message into it and hit a send button and it's going to get beamed into space and somehow beamed down all in the exact same order only to the person that we sent it to so that I know my wife knows that I picked up milk on my way home from work. Like that's mind blowing. Do we know how it works? No, but all the circumstantial evidence around us helps us understand that yes, in fact, it does work, right? Right. Because we have never encountered situations where my text message to you went to some other person, unless I typed in Anthony, and it was Anthony Smith, right? Or something like that. Um, but then we know why, and it was on our fault. It wasn't that it did it wrong. When we when we used to put CDs into a CD player, you know, if I put in the Rolling Stones, I know it's not a miniature Mick Jagger and a miniature Keith Richards inside the speaker playing songs for me. I understand, just generally speaking, that CD has grooves in the bottom of it, and there's a laser in the machine that somehow reads those grooves and is able to make the sound of Mick Jagger's voice. Do I know precisely how that works? Heck no. But circumstantially, I understand that that is what happens. And so, in a 21st century inside job, we can recognize that we know that someone on the inside committed a crime, even if we don't have a precise and exact understanding of how they used technology to do it, because Technology is all around us. We don't have a perfect understanding of it, and yet we understand and accept that it works because we because we see it work every day. Uh, And that, to me, was a way to sort of encapsulate the idea in a way that was uh, approachable and understand and, and understandable for people, and make it really more of a feature of the case as an interesting part of it, as opposed to a weakness of it. And actually, one other thing I'll say on that: it's really interesting. It goes to this point. This is how this works. It used to be the DNA evidence, when DNA evidence was beginning to be used, you would have someone sit down, an expert on DNA, and testify for a day, you know, explaining to the jury how what DNA is, why it is that everybody's DNA is unique, and society has advanced. Hmm. We now just, we understand, like, yeah, DNA is unique. And so when you do DNA evidence right now, sometimes you'll have a defendant who will uh, just agree to let the evidence in. And even if they don't, like your DNA expert testifies for 10 minutes and that's it. Because we've advanced in our understanding of how things work. And I think this case was kind of an acknowledgement of that for the purposes of technology.
1: I highly recommend the book. And I have to say, I think there's such a lesson in what you just described for all leaders, because as we want to influence others and get them on board, you know, whether it's a case like this, or I mean, you know, look, sometimes it's a you're restructuring something in your organization or you're changing your mission or whoever, you, you know, whatever it is, there's lots of different things that we need to get people on board with. Um, As you do that, if you don't figure out the right message that's going to land, and sometimes like what you're talking about, if you get too much in the weeds of it, that's not the right thing. People don't need to understand exactly how the CD player works to know that it works. And I even relate this back to your own messaging, right? I don't need to understand every single thing that the state auditor does to know that Rob Sand is finding bugs. Yeah. Rob Sand has this program and he goes to all 100 county seats in the 99 counties to talk about this. And he gets ideas from the people at the local level who know best and figures out a way to do yeah. that. And, you know, it's 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 kind of a theme, I think, that I see across how you've crafted messages and had success, whether it's one of the biggest cases ever in American history or whether it's a really unprecedented election and re-election um, as state auditor so it's something we can all take away
0: yeah yeah I think I think that's uh that's well put
1: you know as we kind of wrap up I just also want to mention on the winning ticket I just it being a big user of social media and LinkedIn professionally it really jumped out to me this detail that one element of your case was that you were able to find that Eddie Tipton was connected on LinkedIn to a person who redeemed a lottery ticket who was in another state you know it didn't seem like they were connected but you found that connection and that showed you wait a minute this is more than a coincidence um and i just wonder mm-hmm. you know it made me think do other investigators do public officials know the full power of technology and social media whether that's from an investigation or whether that's doing what you're doing with transparency tuesday to get the message out And if they're not fully realizing it, Rob, what can we do to make sure that folks who are part of government are taking advantage of these tools the way that private companies are?
0: Yeah, so I think that people who work on investigations and law enforcement in particular do have a really good understanding of how powerful social media is. You know, it's their job to go out there and make connections and find connections. And I do think they do a great job of doing that. We also, in in the lottery case, uh, had another lead that we had been able to put together through Facebook friends. Uh, I, think, I think Tommy tipped in that he's brother. His, his profile was public and so we could look at all of his friends. And sure enough, he had a couple of friends with an unusual last name that matched the last name of some lottery winners in Oklahoma. And so we were able to, that was able to help us get on our way towards unearthing that uh, that uh, uh, rig ticket as well. Uh, but I, I do think most Folks in law enforcement are aware of the power. Um, I think that the people in in um, leadership positions and in an elected office have a, a varying awareness of it. Uh, and I, I, you know, look. Um, sometimes it's a question of different strengths and weaknesses. Some people feel weird in front of a camera, and so even though they're equally likable and and equally um, affable and and, and speak. Equally, um, you know, intelligently, their social media presence just isn't quite the same. And so they they go put their strengths somewhere else. Um, I, I guess that the, the bottom line to me is, you know, well, to, to circle back, you know, we want to have people who are trying to do good. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. Sometimes it's reaching people through social media. And that's obviously a big part of the series here that you're doing with your podcast. You've got an amazing list of uh, guests that you've got lined up for that. Uh, and so I'm happy to be talking about that. But you know what? If there's someone else who doesn't have a great social media presence, uh, but is in elected office and is doing great work, more power to them. You know, um, maybe, they're, maybe they aren't maybe they are the best at being accessible and letting people into the process, but we still want good people doing good things. And so if they're doing good work, then my hat's off to them.
1: Yeah, that's right. And then last, I just want to ask one more quick question before we wrap up today. We had a really, um, a question that came in from one of the communications boards, community members. Uh, all of us are, get pushback on ideas at work, right? Whether here in, in a company or a public official, in your case as a public official, this can be very uh, visible to many people. It's on the news or it's shared on social media. And what they wanted to know was how have you used criticism and pushback to your advantage to pursue your agenda? Uh, Yeah. um, Well,
0: this might sound kind of weird, but I actually sort of hate politics. I think politics is incredibly stupid and frustrating compared to what it could and should be. And so much of it, one of the things I tell people that I miss about being in court from having been a prosecutor is in court, if you lie, there's typically consequences for it. In politics, it's almost the opposite. It's like the lie helps the people who are willing to tell it get away with what they want. I actually, almost all of the attacks or the pushback on me have been false. Whether they are, whether it's knowingly false and people are lying, or they just don't even understand. Like I appreciate the opportunity to say, "Hey, look, politics." Hey, look, transparency. You know. And, and one of my best performing Facebook videos recently was, sh- I called it show and tell, and I'm going to do a lot more of them, uh, show and tell on a new statute that passed in Iowa and all the reasons why the words on the page of the statute were very dangerous for taxpayers and were going to lead to a lack of oversight. But I was just putting, the, I was pointing them to the words of the actual statute opposed to like talking points repeated, you know regurgitated in a newspaper article that's basically just saying he said, she said, which is a lot of what media coverage is these days. Uh, and so I, I love the opportunity for if I get criticism that isn't, isn't fair or isn't accurate. Good, fun. It lets me illustrate uh, how um, my expectations of many people in politics is the same as the public, which is that it's a, a lot of inaccuracy. And I'm sitting right here in front of them pointing out those inaccuracies.
1: I love it. It's what a great, what a great answer. To end on, Rob, we are so grateful that you took time to be with us today. Um, we learned a lot, and I hope folks will check out the winning ticket. Where can people pay attention to follow you? Uh, you said it before, but I want to make sure we say it again if you, if they want to see more from Rob Sand.
0: Yeah, sure. Uh,
1: most social media channels, I'm at Rob Sand IA. Great. Thanks again for being with us today. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Chief Influencer, a production of Social Driver and the Communications Board. If you know a leader who should be featured as a chief influencer, please nominate them at chiefinfluencer.org. For show notes and more, visit us at chiefinfluencer.org or follow Chief Influencer on LinkedIn. Until next time.